0: This is Alexandra Constantine, and you are listening to The Dicenius Review. Here at The Review, i like to discuss novels, film, art, and culture from a perspective outside the sclerotic mainstream. Therefore, I find the recent trend of young writers turning away from mainstream and embracing independent publishing to be one of the best things to have come out of the collapse of empire and the rise of millionaire di- digital age. Of course, independent self-publishing, fiction more so, is rife with po- problems. One of them being that while we have an eager and exciting writer community, the equally important editorial branch has not caught up with it or been embraced by the new digital fiction world. This, of course, means that the independent scene has been flooded with substandard poorly written trash. The other issue with independent writing at this stage is the writers themselves. I go on and on about this, but there seems to be an inability for so many to realize that they are free to experiment, to drop the chains of 20th century convention, to move past the preferences of MFA programs and fiction magazines nobody reads. We are living in a brave new world of creative possibility. Take risk with your writing. Experiment. Adventure. As for me, I buy a lot of books. A lot of them. My Kindle right now has 78 downloaded and unread. I also buy a lot of hardcovers. I go to independent bookstores, and if I find a copy of one of my favorite novels in hardcover, I add it to my library. Most of all, I like buying your book. I like buying your books. That is, I like supporting independent writers. So, if your work gets my attention, if your sub stack interests me, I will buy your book. I think that spending less than I would at Starbucks to support an independent author is more than worth it. If I was wealthy, I would invest money in supporting the arts. I would um, sponsor a prize, find a publishing platform. But I'm not rich, so this podcast is my attempt at supporting a healthy, independent community of writers and artists. Now, I do have to confess, just because I buy your novel does not mean I'll read it. Sorry, between my full-time career, husband, father, working on my own writing, this podcast, I just don't have a lot of time. But now and then I come across a writer that catches my attention, usually a combination of online presence, topics of conversation, and subject of their work. The most recent case is Lisa Kuznack and her debut novel, Palace. Kuznak is a regular Substack commentator and an independent writer who seems to cross paths with several other characters I know in the scene. So when she recommended her novel a while back, I immediately bought it and set it aside for a day when my mood turned towards science fiction. That happened to be a few days ago, so I started it up and found myself captivated by it truly enjoyable bit of sci-fi that embraces vintage pulp tradition while at the same time using contemporary writing and even a bit of stylistic experimentation. So, when I started this podcast, I knew I was going to invite Lisa on here as soon as possible, and here she is. Lisa, welcome to the Dicinius Review. Hello, hello. Hey, how you doing?
1: I'm doing alright. Well, uh, I agree with a lot of the things that you uh, said in your intro there. Um, I think that the indie scene definitely allows for far more experimentation than in traditional publishing. So when I'm writing, it's not like I, I, I try to, you know, push boundaries. I just kind of, I write what I want to write. I, I write what I want to read. So, and that sometimes winds up being a little bit weird. And, and um, I'm really glad that with Substack, I've kind of um, started finding my tribe a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, that's how I feel too. It's like, first of all, I write for for myself and I read for myself. And I do it you know, independent of old classes I've taken in college on writing and creative writing. And uh, I wish more people embraced that because there seems to be like a trend where you have these online figures that just regurgitate the same garbage you get from a community college creative writing course. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So tell me about yeah, palace. Sure. Tell me about palace. I love that book. I, it was a fantastic little bit of sci-fi. I actually read it in like a day and a half just sitting on the couch. So tell me a bit about some of the ideas behind it. Like, how did you come up with it?
1: Well, it actually started as kind of, at first I thought, has there ever been a full horror in space? Um, now, obviously, the book is far more than just full horror in space. Um, it wound up evolving into me touching on a whole bunch of other different ideas. Um, Actually, the first draft looks absolutely nothing like the version that you read. Um, And as I wrote, I found myself being inspired by things that, you know, has happened in my own past, um, especially a lot of stuff with um, my own right before I started writing it. And um, I started researching stuff to do with, you know, mushrooms and all that stuff. And it and originally the book had absolutely nothing to do with mushrooms. <laughs> like it was totally uh it came after.
0: It was mushroomless. No, and I kept no coming fungus. across these
1: like it it did not, no. Um and I kept coming across these pop sci articles that were like, oh my mushrooms are the way of the future and um stuff about like all these 3D printers that can like print mycelium so that we don't have to use wood and, you know, all this stuff and a bunch of future stuff. Um, and I've always been really, really inspired by um, retro feature. Right.
0: right. So
1: I, I've had a lot of people comment, like, w- as they're reading it, they can picture the 1960s or 1970s rather than the future from the 2020 point of view. And so I think that's really interesting because um, –
0: you know what, I, I do want to, you know, sorry for cutting in. Um, that's okay. Reading reading Palace, um, it felt a lot, like I was reminded a lot by, like, a one of the 1960s Star Trek episodes, you know, where they go to the creepy lotus planet, and it's weird, and kind of like something's going on, mm-hmm. but, you know, they don't know what's going on, and that's that's that was a really cool vibe. But also for our listeners, when you said a folklore in space what you mean by that is basically midsummer in space right you know uh, the the wicker man yeah, in Midsommar space yeah midsummer
1: or or w- wicker man in space yes actually um when i first sent the book out to beta readers and one of the guys says this reminds me of the wicker man in space i was like thank you that is exactly the vibe i was going for it's <laughs> <That's a, that's laughs> it's always, a great always nice feeling. when you get that feedback
0: Absolutely, yeah. it's a great feeling when like you're like oh somebody gets it somebody is in tune with my weird yeah. freaking mushroom fantasy over here you know
1: yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Um, the the book changes a lot from that initial vibe but yeah that was that was a big inspiration
0: you know what you know what also it reminded me of like just a yeah. tiny tiny bit I I'm not sure it's been such a long time but like it was it reminds me of one of the um, the levels in the first Mass Effect game where you go to that weird planet with all the grass everywhere and stuff like that. I don't know if you ever played that video game.
1: I haven't I haven't played Mass Effect, but actually what's really funny, when I first got the idea, and I'm not a notebook person, I don't write ideas down. I just let them kind of stew in my brain. And I figure if I forget the idea, it was probably a bad idea. <laughs> so, right. But when I first came up with the idea, and I started reading all those Popsi articles and started thinking about, well, what if I incorporate fungus and blah, 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 blah. Uh, The very first Last of Us game came out and my idea was still so new at the time that I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, I don't want to write something that's going to be too similar to Last of Us. So I actually sat on it for a really long time. I didn't actually write the first draft until um, 2019, I think December, 2019. So like right at the start of the pandemic.
0: That's awesome. I've never played. I never played that one. Never played Last Last of Us.
1: Uh, I didn't play it. My husband did. Okay. So yeah, and then I was like, oh well, everybody's gonna think I'm ripping off Last of Us. But it. It. I hope anyway that it, it's different. Um. I. I think there was. There must have been something in the zeitgeist at the time. I think, that uh the BBC or something like that put out like a documentary and it featured these ants that had these um cordyceps um infection.
0: I remember that. Basically
1: like zombie ants.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Or and the I, wasps so or think, something
1: like that. I think a few people were inspired by that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't think, you know, I haven't played Last of Us, but I did own it when it was like free on the PlayStation network. I just I don't have time for video games. But for all the listeners, there is no mushroom zombies if you're concerned about that. There's no zombies, no mushroom zombies, spoiler, okay? It's a uh, completely <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> A different take and it's actually a, fa- a fantastically a thing, yeah. fantastically fascinating take and i really enjoyed you know uh it kind of also reminded me of dune a little bit but anyway i, I loved it a little I, bit yeah i've been uh sharing it with everybody i know in in real life and on the internet um i do have a I question so you are a canadian sure. you're a canadian and mm-hmm. uh, how is the the independent writer scene up there compared to uh, us down here in the deep American South?
1: Well, um, I think as far as the online space is concerned, there's really no difference. If you're trying to get published in a Canadian lit mag, the environment is a lot different than an American trying to get published in an American lit mag. Um, Canadian, the Canadian literary scene or can lit. Yeah. It's, it's almost like everybody's trying to get featured by the CBC So it's not – if you're not writing something very specific, it's not really going to get the attention of a lot of Canadian editors and stuff like that. Like, when I look at agents and stuff like that, um, most Canadians who are writing genre fiction, especially science fiction and fantasy, because, like, for for whatever reason, thriller gets, like, a literary pass these days. A lot of agents that only take literary will take thriller, but anyway – if you're writing science fiction or fantasy or anything like that, you're getting an American agent. Okay. It's uh, most, the the Canadian literary scene is very like capital L literary.
0: Mm, Like introspective immigrant stories and that type of shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially like women's fiction. Yeah. Basically women's or immigrant. I'm not going to say that's all there is because i haven't read every single lit piece that's ever been published but that's that's the general if you look at uh, what's uh, what a cbc reads you'll get the gist
0: right right you'll get the gist so you know to continue along this question if i want to interrupt yeah. a bit looking at this you know the canadian scene and even the american scene we have what uh what made you decide to go independent i mean listen a lot of times independent authors uh spe- specifically like self-published uh small publishing uh we tend to get a rap of being like oh lower quality not accepted but looking at your novel it's mm-hmm. it's fantastic and i'm, I'm not even going to blow smoke here but i read a lot of like the i've read a lot of the hugo nominated uh science fiction fantasy award um novels and palos is better than a lot of the stuff i've read in the last few years and i think it's a fantastic novel so what made you go independent? What what made you go do things on your own?
1: Uh, mostly because I like doing what I want. <laughs> I don't like people telling me what to do. So, uh, the indie scene kind of just really fit in with that. Um, a spite, a little bit, a little bit of spite. Uh, Palace was almost signed by a small press. Okay. And um, they just to be a little bit Gen Z slang here. They they did not pass the vibe check. Okay, so I decided to not sign any contracts. I'll say, I'll do it myself. I did it myself.
0: That's fantastic.
1: And, and uh, I'm happy about that. So.
0: Yeah. What are some of the challenges of doing yeah. it yourself? I mean, I know the challenges, but maybe the listeners oh, don't, <laughs> you know? So what, what did you, <laughs> you what did you come across?
1: Uh, well, mostly if anything goes wrong with the book, you only have yourself to blame. So if you can't handle that idea, don't self publish the cover, the editing, um, the layout of the book how you market it and and like i'm not a marketer so a lot of my sales and stuff have been just word of mouth which is fantastic and i think a lot of i think to step back a little bit i think one of the problems with the indie scene is that a lot of it is writers selling to other writers and so we need to try our best to actually get readers to talk about our books, because other readers are listening to other readers. Like if I, if I say make an Instagram Instagram book about my post, three people might watch it. But if Bookstagrammer talks about an indie novel, that'll get it a lot, a lot more attention.
0: Right, right.
1: So there's there's kind of a weird. Writers need to, of course, we need to promote our own books. Right, it's like a But get We out. also go ahead
0: it's like a ghetto you know we're stuck in the ghetto almost yeah yeah it can be really rough
1: oh i was just gonna say there's a lot of um book influencers and stuff that won't even accept indie novels you try to if you try to to ask a lot of people like hey do you want to take a look at my book and you're an indie author and they won't even look at it so there's there that's that's a huge challenge is getting readers to pay attention to your book and readers to talk about your book rather than
0: Right. Yeah. Because they're out there. And by, and by the way, this mm. is me. I'm going to try to become a book influencer here with this podcast. So go ahead and yeah. <laughs> like, share across YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Okay. I will Absolutely. become I will become the shill, indie shill, book. Shill, yeah. shill. I will shill all day, every day, multiple times a week. But no, you hear a lot of people say, nobody reads anymore. Books are dead. Novels are dead. The novel's dead. Nobody reads. And then I live in a pretty small to medium town in South Carolina in the United States, which is, you know, the south. And I also, prior to moving here, I lived in Los Angeles. And even here in my small South Carolina town, I know three different book clubs, okay? My wife's in a book mm-hmm. club with her with our neighbor, and they meet up once a month, and they read tons of books. At my work, there's a bunch of early 20s girls that have a book club, And they talk about Mm -hmm. books. They're always carrying novels around. They're always walking around work with novels. And these are not like MFA people or other writers themselves. These are just Mm -hmm. regular normie readers. And then I know another group that that also reads a bunch, right? So there are readers out there, but we have to be able to get our books into their hands. And that's the bridge we have to gap because we don't have the power, you know?
1: Yeah, here's the other thing too. Uh, Even traditional publishers don't know how to do that. Right. Like it, when that whole uh, Penguin Random House uh, trial thing was going on and basically the CEO is, in, is basically admitting that they don't actually know what they're doing. And if there's a bestseller, it's almost like by chance. So if uh, I think I think us indie um, indie authors can cut her cut ourselves some slack a little bit when it comes to that, because it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. Um, and almost it's almost always just word of mouth right that gets a book's attention or people's attention on a book
0: right and you know like i said in my opening editorial like there hasn't been a good independent editorial scene and that's that i think that's the problem and Mm -hmm. and by editorial i mean both actual line editing and um story editing conceptual editing Mm -hmm. which is such a critical thing You, you look at a lot of 20th century writers and they were made by their editor i mean gordon lish made these writers mm-hmm. you know the ones we like read it's t- to this day and uh, we lack that because you know what going indie as a you know as an editor is just not as exciting as going indie as a writer yourself and the other thing that's missing and i've gone on and on about this on Substack and on my old my old newsletter is that there isn't a very good critical editorial element in the independent scene there's so much back padding. Mm-hmm. You know, buy this book. It's great. Buy this book. It's great. But there's no real, you know, real reviews, real conversation because nobody wants to hurt yeah. anybody's feelings. So then yeah. we let crap get through and then it basically pollutes the entire pond. And that, that's something that we need to work on. You know, that's hopefully hopefully something I'm trying mm-hmm. to work on a lot by doing these reviews and having you guys come on here and we can talk about books all day. You, would you agree yeah, with that
1: i do um now the taste being subjective um there's you know i wouldn't want to say to someone don't publish your book because you know it's not good <laughs> because you never know there might be someone out there that it could be their perfect book right so i i wouldn't i wouldn't say like you know don't publish a book if you're still an amateur or whatever um this is the freedom of the internet you can put out whatever you want it's what i love about Substack, like I can, I can put out a short story, warts and all, and people are still reading it, and that's fantastic. Right. Um, however, that said, uh, if you can't afford an editor, like I can't afford um, a developmental editor, that's just not in the cards. But what I will do is I'll get beta readers, I'll get critique partners, I'll get multiple eyes on my book. I don't have to agree with everything that a beta reader says or what a critique partner says. Um, in fact, there's a lot of times where, you know, a critique partner might say like, um, I don't understand what you mean with the scene, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, well, I get it. So <laughs> somebody's right. about to, well, stop not being a dumbass. It, you know what I mean?
0: Right. Stop yeah, being yeah, yeah, a dumbass. Yeah.
1: Dude. Uh, yeah. Adventures in beta reading could be a, a podcast topic all on its own. Uh, but yeah, you need, you need to get other people to, to look at your book. No, no book is made in a vacuum.
0: Right. And just like I said, last, last week, you know, you know, to, to, Use the Cormac McCarthy quote over and over and over is that books are made of books. All right, books are made of books, and one of the yeah. massive failures oh, see, yes, yeah, one of the massive failures I see in people, um, in independent writers, uh, in you know our communities like Substack and the blog sphere is that you have a bunch of guys writing that don't read. They don't have. Oh yeah. They don't yeah. have this base. They don't have this. Like you know, you have people get on podcasts and say, "Well, you don't have to read the old stuff at all. You don't have to read anything. You know, just I do what I want." And then they put out a <laughs> well, giant. Yeah, they put out a giant turd because what they do yeah. might be original today but it's been done a 100 years ago numerous times and it's some old crap over mm-hmm. and over because they don't have the solid base of uh, you know the literary yep. tradition and the conversation with other authors and you know and that's that's one of the, that is one of the failures that there's a lack of a there's a there's a high yeah. level of illiteracy in uh, the independent book scene and and to like you know kind of like once again not blowing smoke but one of the reasons I'd like your book and one of the reasons I started following you on Substack is because I saw the kind of books you read and talk about, and you're a very Mm well-read person, and you're a very well-read person outside your genre. You know, you read well back, and you read Mm -hmm. a lot of literary fiction, even though you write, you know, 60s era vibe science fiction, you know, (laughs) pulp Uh, fiction, yeah. But you're not the you're not the writer that's just all they read is Dungeons and Dragons novelizations and Conan the Barbarian, and then they just write Conan the Barbarian pastiches, which which is cool, but it's not great art, you know. It's it's boring. Yeah,
1: I think I think with fantasy, especially fantasy, and his is an extremely incestuous genre and I think that's really disappointing because there's so 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 much that you can do under the fantasy umbrella and I think like there's there's this really popular trope that oh Tolkien ruined fantasy I don't think Tolkien ruined fantasy Tolkien did a pretty good job with his books Uh, I think it's the fans who are to blame and and I'm and I am a fantasy fan and so I Feel like I'm coming from within that culture, and so that gives me a little bit of permission to critique it. Um, but for example, if someone says, uh, "Oh, this book in particular," uh, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw shade at any specific books, but I think we've had a similar conversation before, <clears throat> so you can probably picture the book. Oh, it, the the writing is so poetic, and when I read the book, it's like I don't think the author has read a single poem in their life. And I don't think the reader who said that this book is poetic has ever read a single poem in their life. Um, I think it's important not just to read, but to read widely. Um, Going back to like beta readers, there's been quite a few times when I can tell if, uh, speaking of fantasy, especially um, my next book coming out is a literary fantasy. And I've actually had a couple beta readers drop it because the first third of the book doesn't even have any magic in it like it's it's a literary fantasy um and so I can tell when the feedback I'm getting is from someone who hasn't read much outside of their whatever their chosen genre is um and so if I were trying to write a more very tropey very standard fantasy I would take their feedback with more salt i guess
0: right i mean that's absolutely true right it's like eh, you're just not really that well read so you don't get it you know
1: yeah um no they the fact that they did drop it is feedback in itself right and it tells me okay i'm not writing a book that is for a standard fantasy fan somebody who's looking for like dragons on the cover and stuff that's not what this book is so the fact that they they did drop it is feedback in itself right That's um, true. but yeah fantasy fantasy is an extremely incestuous genre uh the last couple of years i've been getting more and more into like new wave science fiction era novels um last year i read dying inside by uh, silverberg and um that is like the perfect example of why the idea of genre is kind of ridiculous Um, it really should be on a literary shelf, but because it has telepathy in it or whatever, it's put with science fiction. And there's a ton of books like that, that don't get enough attention. Um, but, uh, yeah, something, something happened in the sixties and seventies that had people kind of reimagine what science fiction could be about. I mean, if you look at a lot of the pulpy sci-fi that came out in like the fifties, it's almost like schlocky. And so they were looking at that stuff and decided to reimagine it. And then the same, something similar happens. Like, I'm waiting for something similar to happen with fantasy because pre-Tolkien, the era of like Clark Ashton Smith and uh, H.P. Lovecraft and all that stuff, um, Lord Dunsany, there was so much variety in what qualified as fantasy. And then post-Tolkien, it became, especially in the 80s and 90s,
0: right just sclerotic basically stuck you know it became sclerotic stuck in the yeah. same scenes you know massive tomes yeah. of people walking around you know doing <laughs> people walking like, around yeah <laughs> like political religious stuff you know and having arguments about yeah. the chosen one or whatever the hell like 99% of mm-hmm. massive tome fantasy is and look I get accused of being a fantasy hater, and I'm not. I love Tolkien. I love Lord Dunsany or Dunsany or however you say it. Um, I love all that stuff. I even like. You know,
1: I actually probably mispronounced it. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. You know, uh, I love you know a lot of Neil Gaiman stuff. I like. I like. I like fantasy. I love Jack Vance. I think Lioness is the best fantasy trilogy out there. Um, but
1: one hundred percent. Uh, Jack Vance is my probably my favorite author like i just i will fangirl but jack vance all day and lioness yeah lioness is probably and a lot of people who love tolkien will fight with me but lioness is probably the best fantasy trilogy ever written
0: no i I agree i love it so much and you know why because it's so out there it's so different like and it goes back to my kind of my once again my opening point is like you're independent you can write fantasy why is your fantasy The same thing that every video game, every movie, you know, it's the same. There's nothing fresh and crazy, nothing like out there. You know, I want my fantasy to be more like, um, you know, labyrinth with David Bowie. Okay, yeah, I just, I was just yeah. crazy stuff. You know, just the weird things and just you know, yep. darkness and magic and like yeah. real stuff. And, that, and Vance is really good with that. But then you have these guys, mm-hmm. the endless flowery words. That book you were didn't want to mention the name. That I know exactly what you're talking about. Where this dude goes to school for like eight thousand pages and fuck all nothing happens in this entire thing you know and you're like what mm-hmm. why am i reading this i'm reading this guy's day in the life of this guy going to school in the fantasy novel <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> give me the goblin king or something like that you know give me fucking yeah. weird stuff you know and
1: yeah yeah fantasy fantasy will give you the permission to be super duper weird and that's why i love the genre because when you do find gems like that it's um it's so special like I was saying before I think the whole separation of genre from literary is complete marketing um it's just to organize a bookstore shelf I if it were up to me there wouldn't be any division like that but that said when you talk to fans of a specific genre and that's like all they read then the shelving system is really convenient because they can just go to the fantasy shelf and pick a fantasy book and there's a pretty high chance that they're going to be satisfied with what's on the, on the shelf. So what do I know? I'm not a marketing
0: person. No, there'll be a princess and maybe some elves and definitely people riding horses around. And yeah, it's like all the tropes that are built into the, yeah, it's like a, it's like the Westerns from the sixties, you know, you know, there's going to be a cowboys, you know, there's going to be some Indians, there's going to be some shooting, probably a tough frontier girl and cows. Um, And then, you know, yeah, I was reading, uh, Michel welbeck the other day and i was reading his novel um mm-hmm. the, the possibility of an island and you read that novel and it's a freaking science fiction novel okay it is a mm-hmm. novel about the far future uh you know post humans an apocalypse it freaking reincarnation uh like bi- you know biological reincarnation using like technology and of mm-hmm. course, but it's a literary novel. It's considered a literary novel. It's shelved under literary in Barnes & Noble or wherever you buy your books. Mm-hmm. And uh, it makes me think, it's like, who who decides what's what? And it's us, the readers, really, that decide where books go, you know? Uh, where's where's mm-hmm. Neuromancer? Is Neuromancer science fiction or is it literary? deep you yeah, shelf it? Yeah, it's heavy
1: science fiction,
0: yeah. R- right? But a lot of yeah. people would shelve it under literary fiction, and you will find it in literary fiction shelves in a mm-hmm. lot of bookstores. So I think there's a huge overlap and i I agree with you i I hate the idea of genre you know i I hate the idea of like individual ghettos everywhere i think there's science fiction that's literary and i think there's Mm -hmm. literary books that are not that that are like genre you know deep down at heart so to go on we talked about a little bit about vance but what are some of your other inspirations uh writers movies novels
1: oh uh, i can get inspiration by just about anything um i joke a lot about um the struggles of my you know like adhd but it, in reality it's kind of a superpower like i can look at an exit sign and then get an idea so um yeah just about everywhere just about everywhere movies people i've known uh dreams <laughs> as cliche as that is um just you can find a source of uh like the seed of an idea in just about everything like i'm looking right now over there uh, a box of polaroid pictures um, why not write a story about someone with a Polaroid camera? Maybe there's something about the, the camera specifically and they walk around, whatever it is. Please don't, don't use that idea. It's really bad. But, <laughs> but that's a, the kind
0: of, it's a my kind of look. problem
1: is that I'm almost, there was, yes, there was yeah. the the camera one. Yep. I think I have a copy of that one, actually. Say, anyway. say
0: cheese and die. That's but yeah, the, the goosebump
1: one. Say cheese and die. That's, that's yeah. right. And I think there was like two or three of them. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I can, I can get inspired by just about anything. Um, It's executing, it's executing the idea. That's the uh, The challenge, you know, the challenge. Um, Cause ideas are a dime a dozen. And that's one of the reasons why I don't keep a notebook for ideas because there's just so many in my brain. That I have to have some sort of natural filter, and I feel like if I write them down, then I've made permanent a crappy idea, and we don't want to do that. So, yeah, uh, I know a lot of people do live with, live with their notebooks in their pocket, and they're constantly writing stuff down, but that's not me. I uh, I let my brain just filter filter out all the all the bad ideas.
0: Also, also the downside of keeping a notebook with uh, your thoughts and ideas is that it can be used against you in a court of law when the FBI finds it. You know? <laughs> yeah, so,
1: that's true. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's always a good thing. Yeah, we don't we don't need evidence.
0: <laughs> um. So along those no. lines, have you read anything good lately? Like any novels you really or anything enjoyed good
1: lately? Well, uh, I just today finished uh, a Jack Vance book. Surprise, surprise. Um, and that was really really fun. Half the book was him just the main character just griping about how he wasn't paid enough.
0: <laughs> which one? Which one yeah, was it? Was
1: really good. It? Uh, Mask Theory. Okay. um I think it's it's one of the um guy and reach books but like it's not a the sci-fi thing. stuff it's a, a standalone that's the word I'm looking for yeah okay yeah um yeah it's part of the guy and reach stuff um otherwise did I last finish actually the last book I finished before that one was an indie novel called um children of Doro by M.L. Clark and if you like philosophy in your sci-fi pick that one up I think she describes it she describes it as Dostoevsky in space, and um, yeah, it's it's that gets very my attention. Glossy,
0: that get, that gets my attention. Dostoevsky's yes, my f- and
1: she's she is on Substack too, so check her out.
0: Okay, Dostoevsky's my favorite writer, so anything whenever somebody says Dostoevsky, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go, I'll yeah. swing in on that real quick. And she she doesn't Substack, you know? We'll, we'll link to her on the, yes, she is. on the on the podcast page when uh, when I find her because I I like to share this kind of stuff with everybody.
1: Yeah. And um, it's kind of funny because I actually started, I discovered her book right after notes was first announced on Substack, which was right when I first started mine. So it would be about April, May-ish of last year. And um, so I started reading it then. And because my brain is the way it i is, is, I'm, I'm always reading multiple books at once, but sometimes I'll put a book down and then for no reason, I just don't pick it back up again. And then months go by and it's like, well, oh, yeah, I was reading that book. So it took me a long time to read it, but it was really worth it. Um, it was nice to read some science fiction. That was very, very philosophical as much as I do like pulpier sci-fi, of course, you know, with laser guns and all that stuff. Um, it was nice. It was a good read. And um, sorry, my, my brain just blanked because <laughs> I was just like, Oh my gosh, it's been almost a year. It's been almost a year since I started my Substack. Wow. In April, it'll be a year. Um, and I've I've, I've discovered quite a lot of I've, like, like you said, you discover a lot of books, you grab them. I don't always have time to read them, and I, I will eventually get around to them. Um, maybe I just hoard them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I do. I have, I think my, yeah. Kindle's, my Kindle's gonna crash because of all the, the stuff I have loaded on it. I don't even know how much space it has left on it. You're a Vance fan, all right? So I know the guys over at Pylon Press, which is a fantastic little indie uh, publisher. And those guys are mm-hmm. Vance fanatics. You know, they are all about Vance. And mm-hmm. I've sat through so many conversations with those guys about their obsession with Vance. What, what makes you attracted mm-hmm. to, to Vance's work? You said he was your favorite uh, fiction writer.
1: Just the way that he uses language, um, his wit, his imagination. Probably my, my, my favorite thing about him and his writing is that he just, he just writes about whatever he wants in space. <laughs> like that's, he, uh, oh my gosh. Like, okay. So for example, the, the demon princes books, I don't know if you read those.
0: I've, I have not read those, actually. But there's like the
1: subplot. Okay. There's this subplot where basically he uses a bunch of laundered money and he invests it into like this magazine. And then so that he, he's able to like spy on these like evil guys through this, money laundering scheme like magazine thing that he's propped up oh my gosh it's just it's so silly um i love that he um will describe very like and he's not the only one that does this and this is one of the reasons why i do like sci-fi from that era because it just tickles me like describing analog technology but in space or like people smoking and it's like the future. People are still smoking in the future, apparently. So this is like really. It just it just tickles me. Uh, describing how he he forges these uh, documents or photographs or something like that, if I recall, uh, using like scissors and glue in space. <laughs> it's just so funny. And then hits But the other thing too is that his uh, heroes almost always like that standard like Vancian hero is kind of like a a, a sly kind of trickster kind of like he, he doesn't write like action heroes <clears throat> he doesn't even with like the demon princes and with like planet of adventure There, there is fun stuff that happens like the, the heroes will you know throw fists if they need to but that isn't how they problem solve they problem solve in like the most unusual ways for the genre like for example in in there's there's one book in planet of adventure where like half the book is haggling <laughs> it just tickles me i love it um language is a big one and actually when i was when i was in grade 8 i almost failed because i skipped school to go to the library so much and during this span of time i was inhaling books i went through so 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 many books cuz that's literally all i did i just go to the library and i'd sit and i'd just pick a book off one of the shelves and go over to the table and just sit there and read all day until i was supposed to be home from school <laughs> and i'd go home Uh, And one of the books that I discovered was Soldier's Garden, which is the first book of the Lioness series.
0: I love it. I love that.
1: And I fell, I fell so hard in love with that book. And then they had the second one, but they didn't have the third one. And so the name Jack Vance was the first time that I had ever really like started seeking out a specific author. I was hunting down this third book for years I finally found it, read it. It was awesome. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, that was Jack Vance and actually, um, Patricia McKillop too was another one that they, those were the first two authors that their names have like stuck in my brain at that age. Um,
0: you picked up everything by them, right? Everything I could find by them. Right. Yeah.
1: I love that. Uh, If you, if you like poetic fantasy, pick up Patricia McKillop. Um, Oh, what was a? I, I recently revisited a book that I hadn't read since I was a teenager by her, and it was called um, "Song Song for the Baz- Basilisk." Yeah, "Song for the Basilisk," and it's just so beautifully written. Yeah, so she's she's another prose stylist that I that I um, am very influenced by too.
0: Okay, I will add uh, that. I will add that. I will add her to my to my list. You know, I I love Linus, yeah. right? And I love, I think. Mm-hmm. I forget what the order of the books is. Soldier's Garden is the first. There's the Green Pearl and Maudok.
1: Green Pearl and then Mado- Mado- Maduk.
0: Maduk or however Mado- you say it.
1: I actually don't know how to pronounce it. And that, it's like that. M-A-D-O-U-C.
0: And that's the one that has the, the changeling girl, the the princess that's replaced. Yep. by, And she's such a, such a yep. great character, the, the changeling. And she's such a... Yeah, she's fun. The whole thing is so fantastic.
1: She's a, she's a spunky little girl. Yeah. Yeah. And then
0: Vance just makes up words. Like to, to this day... From Linus, I have no idea what a Sandistin is or whatever. It's like his little magician helper concept. He invented
1: a ton of words. In fact, I think people have actually published dictionaries just for words that Vance has invented, which I think is just, it's just wonderful.
0: It's just so ha- much fun. Have you ever read anything by Sky Herrenstrom
1: I, I haven't yet, but he is actually uh, on my TBR. I, have, um, I do have a copy of... Um, Thune, Thune? Yeah. Thune's vision. Yeah, Thune's vision. Called. Right, right. T h u n
0: e. Sky is very much, very much inspired by Vance, and his stuff is fantastic. Mm-hmm. He is, he is probably one of the the best independent kind of fiction writers I know. And yeah. he's a weird guy because he does not have social media. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't shill. He just writes this amazing stuff, puts it out, and that's, never, that's
1: really the way to be. It never really talks takes about the it. heat off, you know. Right. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. Well, one more question before I let you go. Sure. What what do you have planned for the future? I know you have a novel coming out soon. Want to tell me about it a bit?
1: Sure. Uh. So February 27th is the release date of the High Women Kennedy Thornwick. And that is the literary fantasy that I was uh, talking about before. Um. I don't have a copy of the book right now to read the blurb, but if you go to my uh, sub stack, do I have a copy of the book? I think I do. Um, I have the blurb on there. Um, basically it's kind of like, um, if you mix, mixed Snatch and Barry Lyndon, but with magic. So, uh, that gives a kind of an idea of the, the vibe I'm going for. Um, also the book version of Cool Hand Luke, but not necessarily the movie version
0: of Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> okay, I'm intrigued. So, Barry Lyndon? Yeah, we've
1: got, uh, we've got, uh, Prison Escapes, we've got Bank heists. we've also got some existential, uh, you know... Exam- examination of identity and friendship, and you know, it's all it's all good stuff. And that comes out of fe- February twenty seventh. Uh, I picked the release date, and um, so that's that's the nearest thing on the docket. And then I've also got um, it's with beta readers right now. It's a sci fi that is um, a little bit more Vancian than than Palace. It's very kind of inspired by more like uh, like Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of stuff. Okay. But it's also secretly kind of an environmentalist novel. Um, and then I've also got a first draft. It's the first book that I wrote 100% on the typewriter. So I'm currently transferring it from paper to my laptop, which is very time intensive. Um, so that's, that's not going to get ready for, for beta readers or anything for quite a while because that's still... Still kind of in progress.
0: That's a lot of stuff. That's more stuff than I've, I have. I've
1: always got something. I've always got something. I can't. Uh, I can't ever not have anything on the go. um With my Substack, I basically I started my Substack not just as a way to kind of like show my books, but also because I don't really write short form stuff very often. I thought that having starting my Substack would be a good way to practice my short stories and stuff like that, and it was a way to like post my poetry and and um whatever whatever i feel like uh lately i've been posting uh photography stuff um i don't know if all my subscribers are thrilled about the photography stuff
0: i like it i like it and you know i'm a photographer i'm I'm into photography myself and my wife is a professional photographer Mm. and i love seeing your stuff and i think i think you and her were talking on substack and she got inspired and got herself a film camera so (laughs)
1: Oh it's, no, you're good. I'm glad I got inspired. Yeah.
0: Like she's been one into <laughs> no, like some, a
1: gear, gear acquisition syndrome.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she's she's been um, all into film cameras now. Thank you for coming on, okay? Uh thank you for coming on the Dicinius Review. I hope you come thanks back. Thanks for having me. I hope you come back many more times, okay? I want I want to have the same people over and over because I love these conversations. And most of all, thank you to my most of all, thank you to my listeners. And then, of course, if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, share across all the platforms because the more likes and the more shares we get, the more I can keep doing this. And thank you very much. Have a good day, guys.